Welcome to Talking With Tech. I'm your host, Rachel Madel, joined today by Chris Bougay. Hey, Chris. Hey, how's it going, Rachel? It's good. I'm super excited for this episode. Oh, me too. Me too. It's the last episode of the year of 2021 before we head into 2022. I want to tell you my New Year's resolution for 2022. Can I start off with that? Yes, let's go. All right, here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I think in 2022 is going to happen for Chris Bougay. I'm going to make it happen. You ready? I'm going to go diving with sharks. That's what I'm going to do. Are you? I think that's that what I'm going to do. Gonna come, you're going to come visit me in Hawaii, Chris? <laughs> Uh, no, I think that would be, I don't I can't imagine diving with sharks. I think it would be super terrifying. You'd have to be super courageous. Do you know anyone who's done it? I actually was diving with sharks last weekend. So yes. I know you were. Tell us all about diving with sharks. What was that like? It was crazy. So this is something that has always been on my kind of bucket list. And to be honest, I always thought that I would do the cage diving with sharks. Um, And that's like a thing that people do. They go in a cage and there's sharks. And I decided actually to free dive with sharks, which it was even scarier because you're not in a cage. And I, it was kind of one of those things where it was always a fear of mine, like getting in the ocean, thinking about sharks. Like I don't, I'm not like super keen on the idea of just like swimming around with sharks, but it's one of those things where I feel like, okay, when I have a fear, I kind of address it head on and I lean into the fear, um, as a way to challenge myself. And so this is, um, no exception to that. And I, yeah, I had an experience on the North shore of Oahu and I went with, uh, one, one ocean, which is a company. Um, actually the creator of this company or the founder, I should say her name is ocean Ramsey. And she's pretty famous because she is like the shark whisperer. That's what she's called. Um, she has like over a million followers on, uh, Instagram and I actually got to meet her. She was really sweet and humble and it was really, really cool experience. You basically take a boat out to this area that's very common for sharks, Um, just like the specific areas, like three miles off the coast. And you get in the water with your snorkeling gear and the sharks are always below you. Um, But before you get in the water, they teach you all about sharks, how to, you know, be safe, obviously, what to do if a shark comes up to you and As like I was listening to this, you know, person on the boat tell me all about what to do when a shark comes, I kept thinking like, I really don't want a shark to come right at me. (laughs) I'm really starting to get scared about actually like going in the water now. Uh, But yeah, it was beautiful. And it was crazy because when we were going out, there was actually a huge swell on the North shore. So the waves were huge. Like it was, there was also a professional surf competition going on at that time. Cause that's what happens in the winter, uh, on the North shore of Oahu is that's where all the professional surfers go. And that's when the waves get really big. And so that was even just cool, like on a boat, like with these huge, huge waves, but yeah, got in the water, faced my fears. Uh, there were probably like 15 sharks below me while I was in the water. And I even like went off cause you're kind of like on the side of the boat and there's like this line that you can hold on to. Um, and you're, you're able to dive down, like if you want to dive down and get closer to them. And so I was like, well, I'm here, like I might as well be brave and just like go dive down and like hang out with them. Um, there's a, of course, like a safety diver with you. Um, and you can only go one at a time so that they can like make sure everything's going to be okay. But yeah, it was really crazy. And my only regret is that I didn't get better like videos and photos because I was kind of just like in the moment. I also like didn't like having my head above the water because every time like I brought my face up and like came out, I was thinking like my little legs are dangling like sausages down there and there's sharks underneath. (laughs) So I just like like to be in the water to see like where are their sharks? Are they coming towards me? But yeah, it was a super cool experience. I would highly recommend it. And that company One Ocean is fantastic. Not only do they do these shark tours, but their whole mission is shark conservation and teaching people about sharks, which I really appreciate. And so awesome experience. If you guys ever have the chance to go to Oahu, I would highly recommend going and um, doing their shark diving experience. It was so cool. That's fantastic. Can I ask a follow-up question here? And that is what kind of sharks were they? I mean, if they did this education, what um, would you learn? Yeah. So it's, you never really know what kind of shark you're going to see out there, right? So the sharks that we ended up seeing were Galapagos sharks and sandbar sharks. We, at one point, the dive instructor thought there was going to be a, a tiger shark, um, which are huge. And um, we didn't end up seeing one of those. We saw like a school of like tuna actually go across the water, which I was a little scared about because I feel like sharks eat fish. And so, and, and they say that like when the sharks start feeding, like 
they make people obviously get out of the water because um, sharks don't like people. They don't want to eat people. When they bite onto a human, they let go because they're like, what is this? This isn't food. But like our little legs or feet or arms could look like fish. So when I saw the fish, I was like excited because it was really cool to see like a huge school of big fish. But I also was like, but does this mean the shark's going to come eat the fish and maybe eat me <laughs> by accident? I don't know. <laughs> that sounds super exciting. Uh, I am uh, For years and years and years, we've been uh, Shark Week fans, you know, from uh, that, uh, what is it, Discovery Channel, you know? Um, I can remember when Tucker was being born, it was Shark Week, and we were sitting in uh, in the hospital watching the shark start. So learning about sharks and, um, and you getting a chance to actually do that, it's like a dream come true. True. So I'm so happy for you. And I'm so proud of you. So, cor- so courageous. That's amazing. Yeah. I, at first I was like, oh, like, I don't know if I want to get close to them. And I was like, you know what? You're here. You're, sh- you're shark diving. Like, just go for it. And there's like someone there. And it was so funny when I told my mom, she was like, you're doing this by choice. Like, why would you do this by choice? And I'm like, mom, because it's cool. Like, I'm going to be with sharks. And they're like, they're magical. They're majestic. She could not understand it. So. She was like, keep me posted. As soon as you get out of the water, send me a text message. (laughs) I was like, I've survived. I always think of things like that, like, what's the story you want to tell when you're like, you know, much, much, much older? Do you want to say, you know, I did it or I didn't do it? You know, you want to tell the story that you did it, right? That you that you embraced your fears and that you leaned into it and that you uh, uh, have this amazing story to tell, not I stayed on the boat. (laughs) Exactly. I was like, I don't want to stay on the boat. I want to get in the water and I want to dive down and... Yeah, I want to hang out with sharks. And that's what I did. Awesome. All right. So it's also, it's like I mentioned, this is the last uh, episode before the new year. We've decided we're going to take the next two weeks off to spend time with family and uh, enjoy the holidays. And then we'll be back at the beginning of 2022 in January uh, with new episodes. So before we roll into the last interview of the year, it might be good to look back at the at the past year and reflect a little bit on some of the episodes that we've had and uh, some of the experiences we've had this year, right? And so what I've got up next to me, Rachel, is I've pulled up uh, Podbean. Podbean is the service we use to host the episodes. So what happens is we record the episodes. Luke and Michaela work their magic to make them sound and look uh, uh, amazing. And then they go out on Podbean. Luke is actually the one who puts it up in Podbean and uh, sends it out, right? And then that uh, collects some statistics for us. And that's how we know how many downloads and we can see what topics really worked and resonated with people. And so what I have up is some of the metrics here next to us, Rachel, that um, show just this year from November 30th, 2020 to November 29th, 2021, the numbers and which episodes were most popular. So uh, let's start one, two, three, four, five. Okay. So episode five and six, the most popular were a talking with tech live at closing the gap. Right. Uh, so what are, your, what are your, some of your memories and reflections of Talking With Tech Live from Closing the Gap? Well, I love the Talking With Tech Live because I feel like it's not just us kind of teaching about AAC, but it's a collaboration. It's like a joint effort. It's a rich discussion. And Closing the Gap was no different. I felt like it was such a great experience being able to, you know, talk with the people that came to our event. Um, it was virtual, which was, um, you know, of course, like, not as great as in person, but still like, you know, awesome. And I think what's nice is that, you know, and especially in a situation like that, we can share, you know, not everybody was able to attend Closing the Gap, right? So it probably piqued people's interest to say like, hmm, I wonder what happened to Closing the Gap. Like I wasn't able to, to join. So I think that it was just, a, yeah, it was a really rich conversation. And every single time we do a Talking with Tech Live, I learn something new which I get really excited about because, you know, as a presenter, it's like, I know a lot about AAC, obviously, but like, I can always learn. There's always something someone's doing or the way that someone describes something or a tool that I haven't thought about, or, you know, there's so many things we can learn from each other. And that's why those events are so powerful. I, amazing. I That's exactly how I feel about it. And that's, uh, I love the format of Talking With Tech Live, because like you said, it is not a presentation where you come and you sit and you get, it is a, com- it's a conversation that we're having with the people that participate. And I just, um, I find that I get so much more out of that sort of interaction. Um, like you said, I learned so much more. I think everyone else does as well. So now speaking of that, it's not on the list here, but we actually have two Talking With Tech live 
episodes never released on the main feed of the podcast. They never went out on Podbean. They're reserved specifically for people who have signed up on Patreon. Yeah. Should we do some shout outs for our new Patreon members, Chris, since we just talked about Patreon? Sure. Okay. We're going to shout out Megan, Sherry, and Emily. Super excited that they just joined the Patreon. Um, You know, we say it over and over again, but we'll say it again. The Patreon supports this podcast and we are so appreciative for people who, you know, decide to sign up. At this point, there's like two years worth of content. Um, So you would have a lot of AAC content to go through if you joined our Patreon. Uh, But we try to, you know, of course, include episodes that haven't released. We include behind the scenes stuff. We're constantly sharing resources. And what's really cool is that our Patreon members actually comment on the posts and they share resources. Like I just saw a comment from Anya. She's another Patreon member. She just uh, linked to this amazing resource that I feel like I'm going to download and use in my practice. Um, so it's just a great community and I'm super appreciative of our Patreon. Um, how do you get to Patreon? Patreon.com backslash talking with tech. All right. So let's see number. So that was five and six, right? I put them together, the closing the gap, um, talking with tech live episodes. The next one up is Amy Fleischer and Melissa Peterson, the benefits of a universal, uh, uh, approach. Um, and so, Whew, that is an interesting one because there, again, we are sort of diving into that specific language system first approach. It continues to come up. Uh, people continue to talk about it. People continue to interested in, uh, are interested in it and learning about it, learning about how different people are implementing it. And so it kind of speaks volume here that's like our fourth most popular episode of the year is where we're discussing that, you know. Yeah, I mean, I'm not that surprised. I feel like we didn't do this exercise when we had the Eric Anger episode. Um, This was like years ago at this point on the podcast. But, you know, people still link to that episode. I'll be in like a random Facebook thread and I'll see someone link to the Eric Anger episode, um, which I love. And I think it does speak volumes to perhaps some of the shifts that we're seeing in our field and um, you know, this type of universal system being implemented across the country, um, I think is really cool. And it's really interesting to hear everyone's perspective on that. A little uh, tech tip here, why, since you're mentioning that, is it immediately jumped in my head that Eric Anger episode was years ago, but we've talked about this topic many times. We often find that um, we rebring up topics, you know, let's say it's motor planning, let's say it's um, aided language stimulation, let's say it's coaching, whatever it might be. A quick little tip for people, if they're going back and you're looking at, uh, gosh, over 200 episodes of content, it can feel a little overwhelming. A strategy that we use is you can go to our website, you can click on episodes, and there's a little search button at the top. So type in the search that you're searching for, and it'll immediately bring up all of those things. So if you're looking for specific language system first approach. What is that? I'm not really sure. Click on episodes, type in that in the search feature or whatever else you're looking for, literacy strategies, whatever it might be. And it'll give you a curated list that you can then use to uh, to kind of hone your search and uh, target in on specific topics. Yeah. So our website's talkingwithtech.org in case people don't know about it. And I use that feature all the time because I'm constantly like, hmm, I know someone talked about this thing. And I have to give a shout out to our podcast producer Luke because the reason that that is so searchable our website is because of his fantastic show notes so he includes all the tools all the talking points all those things which make our website crawlable and searchable Um, so without him we would not be able to have that feature Um, so definitely use that feature Um, I know a lot of people will post in the Facebook group um, they'll say like I'm looking for this specific episode I know Rachel or Chris talked about this one thing and what I love Chris is that our fans know our episodes better than we do. I'm like, I don't remember, you know, what episode. And, you know, sure enough, someone's like linking to the episode or like it was in this episode. Um, so anyway, just love our community. So the third most popular episode is from the one and only Amanda Soper. As she is the one that we interviewed. I think you, you did the interview for that one, Rachel. And it is called AAC Implementation Strategies for Cortical Visual Impairment or CVI. So what are some of your memories there? Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. I feel like, so we've already had some episodes on CVI. You can definitely, again, go to the search function on our website, type CVI, you'll see all the episodes where we talk about it. 
What I loved about Amanda Soper's episode is that she was really like, she got real. She's like in the trenches with us clinicians. She's working, you know, with these kids all the time. And she really shared practical information that really helps the implementation. Um, CVI is such an unknown for a lot of clinicians. Even if you know about CVI, I feel like every kid who has cortical visual impairment presents so differently and it's so dependent on what stage they're in and all these things. And so her and I had a really rich discussion about how can we change what we're doing with AAC to help support kids with CBI. Um, and it kind of goes into a little bit more detail than just simply talking about the signs of CBI or kind of these basic strategies like high contrast symbols and, you know, low vision strategies and things like that, that I think, um, it went a little bit into more detail. And and to be fair, I was asking specific questions about a specific case of mine, <laughs> selfishly. I was like, let me talk about one specific case. But I think that's also really helpful because, you know, I mean, it definitely was helpful for me, but I'm sure that kind of hearing us talk in detail about that, you know, that case was just really eye-opening for some. Uh, I hope that was the case at least. So yes, if you haven't listened to that episode, definitely listen to it. I have learned so much about CVI in the last couple of years. And I feel like I've been, you know, responsible for getting kids to eventually become diagnosed with CVI. Um, and I feel like the, just the more you learn about it, the more you, well, the more you realize you need to learn more. <laughs> um, but also just like you're able to spot these things, um, you know, maybe that you would have never recognized otherwise. So the second most popular, most downloaded, most uh, accessed episode of the Talking With Tech podcast was, you're not going to believe this one, it is Jamie Grant. So Jamie Grant, and the name of the episode is Effective AAC Assessment, Treatment, and Progress Monitoring, Part 2. Jamie Grant was actually a two-part episode. A, a local university asks the students that are participating in their assistive technology master's program Part of their coursework is to reach out to somebody who works in assistive technology. And Jamie Grant got it tied to me, right? Reach out to Chris Bouguet. He'll help you. And so Jamie reached out to me and I said, hey, Jamie, how about we record our interview and we'll put it on as a podcast? And we ended up just hitting it off and talking about so many different things about integrating technology and uh, using educational technology. Um, and the second part was uh, of the two-part episode was all about AAC assessment, like I said, and then how to monitor the data so that... Uh, uh, so that, that we know what's working, right? And uh, it was just a great, rich discussion with somebody who was just getting into this aspect of their of, of special education, right? She came from a general ed background. Um, we talked about, I remember we talked about coding because she worked with um, uh, robots and coding, but not in a special ed lens, right? Just in general ed. And so we were starting to make connections and bringing them together. So it was uh, certainly one of my most memorable and favorite episodes to record. It was so great to have her on the podcast. Love it. Love it. I love that episode too. I felt like a little fly on the wall as you guys talked through these things. And I feel like those are the best episodes where it feels very natural and just kind of like flows, flows so much that you actually have to break it into two sessions or sorry, two episodes because it's so long. The last one. All right. Number one. Let's see. Uh, let's just give everyone a second to guess. What could it be? What was the episode that sticks out in your mind? What resonated most with you or maybe gave you the most strategies or the one that changed your mindset? I'm very curious what people would say. Do you have any guesses what it might be, Rachel? I This is so fun for me because I'm like, ooh, what's it going to be? So Chris knows the answer, but I haven't looked at this yet. I'm not sure. I, I, I'm, ho I'm always hoping it's one of our AAC user episodes because I feel like those are my favorite, but I'm not sure. That is shocking to me that our AAC user episodes are not in the top uh, five or six in this case of episodes. Um, so this is not an AAC user one. Here's the story behind this one. I had seen this person present at, I think it was AEC in the cloud. And I wrote down, like, I'm going to contact this person to do an interview, right? And then you and I were chatting. You're like, guess who's coming on? It's Laura Hayes to talk about how to shape and support when there's stimming behaviors, right? And, and stimming. And I was like, I saw her present, right? I was going to reach out to her and you would beat me to the punch. It is Laura Hayes talking about stimming. Oh my goodness. I'm super excited. I'll be so excited to share um, with all of the people who made our top five, um, all of these people that we came, that came on the podcast. Um, I know that Laura Hayes is going to be super excited to hear that. And 
You know, I feel like, again, it's a really awesome episode. How do we think about simming through a different lens? And I feel like she does a fantastic job of outlining that for people because we really do need to start shifting our perspective and how we're approaching stimming. And I'm sure, Chris, you get this all the time. I feel like almost every presentation that I give, someone in the audience has a question that's like similar to this. You know, I introduced this device and Johnny just spends all day stimming on the device and isn't using the device functionally. Like, what do I do about Johnny? And so it's just like such a common thing. And I just appreciate, you know, Laura going through the different types of stimming and what, you know, you can think about, how you can think about it in a different way and approach it in a different way. Because um, I think it is pretty pervasive um, within, you know, the AAC world that this is something that is coming up for people but how do we look at it you know not from a negative like have to stop this lens and really use it for it it to tell us something really valuable about that student um, and really you know get curious about the reason behind it so that we can understand a student better and then better be able to support them I could not agree more. And I just love that it's a mindset shift. You know, it's been out there for a long time, but it's been slowly coming. So the idea that this episode was so popular and had the most downloads for the entire year is really exciting to me because it, it's an indicator that more people are embracing that mindset, right? That they're not just listening to it, but they're also sharing it. Like, hey, we need, you all need to listen to this episode so that we can know what to do the next time we experience this. Or with the student we're working with right now that's that, that, that we're experiencing this, we need to start shifting our mindset around how to move forward here. So those were our, those, that's our year in review, our top five, right? I don't know. There's probably more statistics we could dive into. Like you could probably guess the number one country that, that has the most downloads is the United States. But can you guess what number two is, Rachel? Number, new, number two country? I feel like Australia loves us and Canada. It's Canada and Australia. They're neck and neck, back and forth. The number one province in Canada that has that had number downloads is Ontario. But that, of course, makes sense because I believe Toronto is in Ontario, some of the bigger cities there. Um, with Alberta coming in right in behind. So that's pretty cool. The states in the United States, can you guess what are the number one? I feel like uh, New York, California, Texas. They're on the list. You got it. Those are California is number one. Texas is number three. New York is number four. Number two, though, Illinois, of course, Chicago's in Illinois, so you have a lot of uh, a high density of population there. But yeah, number five is tricky. I, it's, can you guess what number five is? I'm hoping it's Virginia. I would think it would be Virginia, right? But it's not. And I think this actually shifted. I think if we went back and listened to uh, the same thing a year ago, I think Florida has crept above Ohio. Ohio and Florida are neck and neck. They're within, uh, let's say, 200 downloads of each other. And uh, so they're constantly vying for for fifth place there. <laughs> love it, love it. I have a statistic, Chris, that I'm excited to share. Um, it's kind of a preview statistic. Our podcast is almost at half a million downloads, which sounds crazy to say out loud, um, but uh, I'm super excited. We're gonna have a huge party when we get to half a million um, because you guys are listening and you guys are downloading. And that just includes the downloads, by the way. That doesn't, in, doesn't really capture our podcast statistics don't capture when people don't download the episode and they just listen on YouTube or on their podcast player. So it's it's even more exciting to think, you know, what a reach our podcast has uh, for people who we don't even know about because we can't capture those analytics. Um, so anyway, I'm super excited. Please, 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 if you love this podcast, we'd love for you to share uh, a review on iTunes. That's the best way for people to find out about this podcast. And it's super easy to do if you're on your podcast player. You simply just click on the reviews or the ratings and then hit write a review. Um, and again, it just helps people find the podcast. And the reason that matters to us is because we really started this podcast with a mission to help people understand AAC, to help people feel less daunted and overwhelmed by AAC. And I think we've done a pretty good job of that, Chris. We get emails all the time from people saying how much they love it. Um, so if you've written us an email, first of all, we probably have responded because we love getting those emails. Uh, but if you haven't left a review, we would love love, love for you to leave a review so, again, more people can find this podcast. I also want to give a special shout out to all the university professors that are um, asking and inviting their students to listen to episodes 
episodes and have discussions around the episodes uh, are making it part of their curriculum. They're making it part of the experience people have. Because I think what happens is people might listen to one episode, but then become curious, become more invested in listening to more episodes and continuing on. So a big shout out for to all the university professors that are really embedding it into the work that they're doing. I have to kind of remark on that too, Chris. We just got an email from someone who is a student and she says, um, so she's a, in a college in New, New Jersey and she reached out to us saying that her professor is super passionate about AAC and our podcast and she asked us to send him a shout out. Um, so of course, we're going to talk about it here on the podcast, but Chris and I actually are going to record a video for him. Um, so yes, we're super excited. And it was so sweet of this student to reach out to us. I just like love, love, love that she's so excited about AAC and like her professor that she like wants to do this for him. So um, I was really excited to get that email. Amazing. So tell us about our interview today. Well, Illinois was number two on our, was it number two on our state list? Yeah, number two. Okay, Illinois was number two on our state list, and I interviewed Ashley Laracy, who is in Illinois, um, alongside of other really great AAC uh, professionals. Um, But Ashley and I talked all about how to support older students with AAC. And I have to say a public apology to Ashley. Um, We had recorded this episode quite a long time ago, almost a year ago at this point, Chris, um, a little less than a year. But um, she asked me, hey, did you ever air the episode? And I thought, oh my gosh, no, it didn't go on our calendar. And if it doesn't go on our calendar right after I record, then, you know, it basically leaves my brain immediately. So anyway, um, I recorded this episode a while back. It was a fantastic episode and I'm super excited for everyone to listen. Because again, I think that, you know, working with AAC with emerging communicators who are older students um, sometimes proves to be challenging for clinicians because they're not quite sure what types of activities to work on and uh, what kinds of age respectful materials to find. Um, So she talks all about that and what she does um, in her neck of the woods. Um, So I'm super excited to to close out the year with this episode. Um, Again, sorry, Ashley, for not airing this sooner, uh, but better late than never, right? Cannot wait to listen to this interview with Ashley Laracy. Happy New Year, everyone. Are you enjoying this episode? We would love for you to take a few minutes to hit the subscribe button so you always know when we release new content. Even better, if you leave us a review on iTunes, then more people will find this podcast and learn about AAC. We also love reading your reviews on air. Thank you so much for your support. We love this community. Now we can head back into the episode. Welcome to Talking With Tech. I'm your host, Rachel Meadow, joined today by Ashley Laracy. Ashley, how are you? I am wonderful. How are you? Good. I'm super excited to have you here today. Can you just start off by introducing yourself and how you got interested in AAC? Sure. So I, um, well, I'm Ashley Laracy. I'm a speech Mm -hmm. and language pathologist. I um, currently work in the Southwest suburbs of the Chicagoland area. I work in a public high school um, with students typically 14 to 18 years old. Um, I'm also an adjunct faculty member at St. Xavier University in Chicago, um, and there I'm a clinical instructor. Um, I originally, you know, years ago, graduated with my bachelor's in psychology, and I didn't know really what I wanted to do, and so I took some time off. Um, I was a paraprofessional at a residential school and um, was introduced to AAC at that time, and it really just, it impacted me so much and made me want to go back to school for speech. So I'm a post-bac student. Um, and I've always known that I wanted to work with AAC and I've been working with, um, AAC users since that time. So it's been great. I love that. And part of the reason I'm really excited to talk to you today, Ashley, is because I feel like there's, um, a lot of challenges in the field, figuring out how we can work with kids who are older um, with AAC in a way that, you know, we're choosing respectful materials and we're doing things that are functional. And so I'm really pumped to talk to you and get all of your best ideas on how to support these kinds of students. Um, uh, Because I think a lot of times, especially for students who might 
have just been introduced to AAC who are in middle or high school, um, it sometimes feels like, okay, like I'm not really sure how this works um, for yes. an older student. Right, right. Yeah. I think it's a question that comes up a lot. So yeah, I'm happy to be here to talk about, you know, just my experiences. Um, most of my experiences really have been with older students. Um, there was a time right after grad school that I worked with elementary age students, but most of the time I have been with older students, which is just, I just, um, I really, really enjoy this population. I think it's, it's such a big transition time. I think for families, you know, when students are, um, you know, leaving high school and going to transition programs, I think sometimes it can be, um, it's exciting, but it's stressful. Um, it's really, but it's really, um, it's been just an honor to be a part of that with um, the families that I've worked with to be a part of that time. I have a question, um, kind of thinking about my own experience with older students. Like, for example, I have a 19 year old right now who I just got started using AAC. Mm -hmm. um, is that a common thing that you find you're, you are introduced to a student and you're like, wow, like, you know, they could really benefit from AAC and they don't have access to that. Like I need to set that up or most of the students you, you work with, they already have systems set up and you're really just like teaching them language through yeah. the yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I feel like it has um, it has gotten much better over the years. I think you know when I orig originally was out of graduate school, I had a lot of students that were um, had access to some AAC, um, but typically it was not robust enough to meet their needs. So um, it might have been just like low tech systems with not enough vocabulary, um, maybe a textbook or things like that. But they just didn't have uh, they didn't have enough words. They didn't have enough to say. Um, so that that um, has, I feel like gotten a lot better as time has gone by. I feel like um, the word is getting out, you know, <laughs> you know, robust AAC and all, you know, all the words to give our students. I think that that's, that message is getting out there, but there are still times where um, I do have students who will come in as freshmen and um, either need, um, and, you know, something more robust or whatever they have is not meeting their needs um, or they need AAC in, in general and don't have access to it. But I will say it's gotten better. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that it has gotten better. Um, but I think that kind of what I tell families is it's never too late to start. I mean, mm -hmm. and I think a lot of times because you know, families have been in the school system for so long and have had speech therapy so long, it feels kind of like, well, like this is, this is how they communicate and this is it. Right. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times I, you know, have to kind of convince families that it's, it's not too late to start and we can, you know, pick up right where, you know, wherever your child's at, um, or the student is at. Um, and I think that's so important because, um, you know, there really is no age limit. Um, and I think that that's a common misconception is like, well, we've kind of that, that boat has sailed or we've missed that. Uh, we've missed that boat. And so I think that just like reiterating that one, like it's never too late. And two, like, let's make sure we have robust systems, um, especially yes. for kids who are transitioning. Um, you know, we really need to have access to robust systems and also like, of course, literacy. Right. Exactly. Okay. Tell me some tell me some of your gems of wisdom with working with older students. Like how are you deciding what materials you use? Um, what activities you do? I'm really curious to like, take me on a trip of like <laughs> Ashley's work day. Like what does it look like? What kinds of things are you doing with the students on your caseload? Yeah. I, I mean, I see this question all the time. I think that and so many of us can relate to this where it's like, I have this, you know, this 15 year old student and, um, you know, they're using AAC and I want to find something that's age appropriate. I see that, that on social media, on Facebook, on Instagram. Um, and I think that, um, you know, it's interesting. I feel like there's mixed kind of opinions on this, but I think that where people get caught up is that word appropriate. I think that that's really, um, uh, people don't like to, um, say that something is not appropriate because it feels like you're judging the learner, that you're judging their interest and you're judging the things that they like. Um, so I really try not to use that term. I try to use age respectful instead. I heard it from Carolyn Musselwhite was the first time I heard that term. And I'm like, oh, I love that. Yes. Because, um, I think that we have to really differentiate, um, the, the interests of the learner and the things that they like and the activities and the curriculum and the instruction that we're providing. Because, you know, if I have a student that likes something that maybe wasn't 
designed, maybe it was designed for a younger individual. Um, I'm not going to say that that's not age appropriate. I mean, I think those are their interests and those are the things that they like. Um, I have friends that go to Disney every year, you know, and like they love it and that's where they spend their vacation. And I'm not going to say that that's not age appropriate for them. It's their interests. It's what they like. It's what they care about. And so I think the same thing goes for our learners, you know, the things that they like, um, I'm going to respect what it is that they like. Um, I think that we can get caught up in that though. I think that sometimes um, that might be the only thing that we're focusing on. So if I know that this kid really likes trains or he likes a certain train, then that's kind of like all I'm really using in therapy. And I'm saying, but he likes it. So it's fine. But I think that we can work on really expanding that. So what is it that the student likes about trains? Um, you know, what can we, ex you know, can he do, can he do a research project where he's learning more about trains? Can we, um, you know, I don't know, go and visit a train yard and go and do an interview with a conductor. And there's lots of different ways to do that. I think sometimes when I say things like that, people are like, oh, well, he doesn't have enough language to, you know, do an interview with someone. Um, but a lot of those can be co-constructed, you know, where you're working together with the student to kind of formulate some questions. And maybe you are using scripts to do something like that. Um, but thinking about, you know, their interests, I'm going to respect them, but I'm also going to try to expand on them and introduce them to new things. Um, because, yeah, I mean, when I was five, 10, I had different interests than I do as a, you know, however old I am. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> that sure I won't, people that I won't, I am. <laughs> yes, that I will not disclose. But it's because I had different experiences, right? Like I got to experience different things. And so if we're not providing our students with different experiences, then their interests probably won't change either. And I have to tell you, I have a lot of students um, who I work with who are autistic, who are who are autistic and they have very limited interests, but mm -hmm. um, how do we ever get into a new interest or hobby? It's having exposure and experience to that. And totally. I feel like as you know, practitioners, um, we can very carefully introduce new things. Um, I have a student who is obsessed with Daniel Tiger. And every time like he comes to my session, he's like, Daniel Tiger. Yeah. And we do are doing some really cool things with watching some of the episodes and recalling some details and working on inferencing and all these really awesome targets. Um, but now that like, we've kind of spent a lot of time with Daniel Tiger, I'm like, okay, like, how can I like slowly like branch out? Um, and of course he's very resistant to this, right? Like mm -hmm. he doesn't want change. He's like, no, I want Daniel Tiger. And so we've worked out a system where like, you know, I'm like, okay, we're going to do five minutes of Daniel Tiger. And then we're going to watch something brand new. And of mm -hmm. course he was really resistant to it at first. Um, and now he's like used to watching something brand new and just the other day, he was like asking for something outside of Daniel Tiger. And I was like, yes, like we have done it. Like we have expanded his interest into another, you know, short cartoon. Uh, but I feel like that's a perfect example of how we can slowly like start incorporating other things into our sessions as a way to branch out and expand our students' interests. Totally. And I think that when we do that, we give them more of an opportunity to have connections with other people who have other interests as well. You know, if you just like Daniel Tiger, then I might be able to have connections or talk about Daniel Tiger with just people who like Daniel Tiger. But if I also like this other thing, that's going to expand, you know, the horizons of what I can communicate and what I can connect with other people about. Totally. I completely agree with that. Um, how do you how do you make things super functional? Because you're working with a population of students who are about to transition um, some into, you know, work situations. Like, how do you make sure that the skills that you're teaching are actually translating to functional, like, life skills? Yeah. Yeah. So I, um, I think that, um, you know, we can redefine that term. Like we can look at that word functional, like what does functional mean? Um, it's something that's going to be practical. It's something that's going to be useful. Um, and Karen Erickson has this quote about functional, like nothing is more functional than literacy instruction. And she talks about, you know, a lot of times being pushback where teachers will say, or staff will say, or parents will say, whoever, um, if they're resistant, you know, saying like, oh, well, that's, that's not functional. It's not functional for them to learn how to, you know, read and write. We need to be working on other sorts of things, you know, but 
reading and writing is the way that we're connecting with the world, especially now, I mean, especially more than any time after COVID. I feel like it's just changed everything. But things like texting and email and social media, those things are so, so functional. Um, and so I feel um, even just talking about like materials, I know I didn't talk about that as much. I kind of went off on a on a <laughs> age respectful tangent. Um, but even looking at like some of the things that we're using. So, you know, I do use a lot of stuff with like, um, social media, creating graphics. Like a lot of times when you're looking on things like teachers pay teachers, they have the clip art, right. Where they have those like short little kids and they're really cute. Um, but they're kids, they're not teenagers, they're not young adults. Um, so I think that that's one thing that I really look at when I'm looking at like, is, is this, you know, material that I'm using, is it age respectful? Um, and that, that is, that it's hard because a lot of times, you know, maybe we can't use a lot of those resources because they're not, um, what I've really been loving lately using is Canva. Canva has such wonderful images. If no one is familiar with Canva, it's, you can get a free account, but, um, a lot of times it's used to really create social media graphics, but, um, I just love the images in there. I think that there's so many different people. There are so many different kind of um, just nice imagery that I think is very respectful of our students. And we've actually used Canva like for therapy activities to work on core words. So just over um, right before spring break or spring break was maybe a month ago, um, we had students where they were talking about, okay, if you were going to have your dream spring break, if you could go anywhere that you wanted to go, if you could see anybody that you wanted to see, if you could do anything that you wanted to do. So working on those core words, what would you do? And then pulling in images from Canva, um, as far as like what they would want to do. And when you look for an image in Canva, it's kind of like what you would see like in Boardmaker, where maybe it pulls up a lot of different images of like a tree or a chair, if I'm going to sit in a lounge chair, but then they can work on describing it. So, okay, which one should I put in your image? Should I put in the red chair? Should I put in the blue chair? Should I put in the girl with the pink dress or should I put in the girl with the orange dress? I'm using a lot of colors, but there's lots of different options for things that you could do. You know, one student said he wanted to like, meet this particular YouTube star. I was like, I don't, I don't know if he's in there, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but, we're, but we're going to type it. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, I was just gonna say, like, we're going to type his name in there. That's great. We don't have yeah. to use a picture of this person, but yeah. Yeah. But also what's nice about Canva is that you can upload your own images. So you yes. can like screenshot from Google or even better. I feel like using uh, images that families send um, yeah. to make it super relevant. Like, especially if like, I love like when kids go on vacation, I'm like, take as many pictures as possible. <laughs> like, we're going to talk about it in therapy. Um, right. And then it's kind of like, it's really nice. You can do almost like a, a social story uh, or like a keepsake. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, I think that like utilizing images and Canva is such a great tool that I've definitely used for my business, um, right. but I like never thought to use it for therapy. Um, so it's so cool too, because you can download, you know, whatever the images that they create, you can download it and send it to them. And when you're in the schools, I mean, I don't know about everyone else, but like, it's a little tricky to use, you know, your own students, social media accounts and things like that. You have to really have, be careful with things like that, but I can email it to my student and I can say, okay, now this is yours. This is your image that you made. So if you want to upload this to your Instagram or you want to post it to your Facebook, you know, it's in their hands. They have whatever it is that they created and they can do whatever they want with it, which is so cool. You know, they, that's something that they made and something that they created. And so they have a lot of ownership and pride in that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I love that. And that's a great tool that I like yeah. thought about. And also I feel like you're kind of like also teaching some skills, right? So like, yeah. it's like using Canva, I feel like is a really great skill in 2021 um, <laughs> to just know how to do. And so I feel like that in and of itself is, is kind of nice. Um, and I also right. love the idea of incorporating the social media angle, um, which I feel like is cool, right? It's like, okay, mm -hmm. for the, the student who like wants to meet the YouTube influencer, it's like, okay, you are the YouTube influencer. Like what, what are you going to post on your YouTube channel? Like, let's make the, like the cover art for your YouTube channel. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. There's so much language that you can embed and stuff like that. So I just love that. 
Um, but even other things, you know, like I know that I'm sure so many people are familiar with some of these resources, but like books, you know, I'm not going to read Brown Bear, Brown Bear. Um, but I might like that repetitive style of text that might be really good for my emergent readers. Um, but I can make my own book. I can make my own book using something like Tar Heel Reader, using something like Pictello, and I can do something with repetitive lines. I can take pictures or my students can take pictures of different things and they can, you know, embed those into the books to make them really personalized. So um, I think that just, you know, if they can make their own alphabet books, you know, if they're still working on letters, that's okay. You know, we can make it very respectful. So it's something, you know, that is meaningful to, to them and helps support them where they're at. And I also think it's worth noting that the actual making of materials can happen in your session. Yes. I think there's this thing where people are like, oh my gosh, I don't have time to make all these books and all these things. It's like, make that part of your therapy session. Totally. Like make them a part of the process because then they're they're more bought into whatever it is that you're creating in general. Mm-hmm. Um, if they have the autonomy to like help shape what it becomes. Um, yes. And also there's so many language opportunities there. So it's not like, you know, we have to go and make all these books, you know, nights and weekends just to get ready for our therapy sessions, right? Like we can do this as we're working with students in our sessions. Um, It doesn't have to be this like big thing. Cause I think that's what happens when people are like, oh my gosh, like make your own materials. Like that feels like so much work. And it's like, it's not when that's part of your therapy session, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So how do you, I want to circle back to this uh, idea of age respectful materials, Mm -hmm. because I think it's really important. And I see, um, you know, a lot of times uh, teachers perhaps using like, like you said, brown bear, brown bear. And I'm like, this is not okay. So do you have any strategies on talking with either parents or professionals about like the idea of age respectful? And like, have you been in situations where you're like, what you're seeing, you're not liking. And you're like, how do I have this conversation? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really, um, it's tough, right? I mean, it's hard. Um, it, it is, it's tough. I think that, um, anytime that I'm giving any sort of like feedback at all, I think it's way better taken if I've got a relationship with that person. I'm so big on relationships and I feel like, um, it's, it's so important for our students if for us to have relationships and positive relationships with them. Um, it's, it's also so important with the people that we're working with that we have, you know, like mutual respect for one another, that I'm listening to them. I'm, I'm hearing what it is that they're saying, you know, I, maybe the concerns that they have or the challenges that they're having in their classroom. Um, and not just kind of trying to push my agenda down their throat. You know, mm-hmm. I think that they, teachers are, teachers have a lot going on. Teachers have so much going on in their rooms, you know? And so I think sometimes as, you know, SLPs, we can come in with this, agenda of pushing things like aided language stimulation and modeling and wait time and, you know, um, all those things that are so, so, so important. But as much as we can be in the room to model those sorts of things and to help with those sorts of things, I think that that helps to foster like that strong relationship with one another. And then I think it's a lot easier to have those conversations if there is a time where maybe maybe something isn't totally age respectful and like bringing that up, you know, it's, it's a lot, um, it's a lot harder to swallow feedback like that when, when you don't have a relationship with someone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I completely agree. I feel like it always circles back to like building strong relationships and, you know, especially when we're in situations where we kind of like need people to do something. Um, I think the best way to get people to do something is to, you know, inspire them to do something. And Mm -hmm. that starts with first, just like building trust and getting like, you know, this idea of buy-in, like this person's here to help me. Um, and then I think you can have those tough conversations with people. Um, but like you said, I think it starts with a relationship that you build, uh, which is sometimes hard with some people that we have to work with, um, which I recognize that it's not easy to build relationships with all the people that we work with. But I think that that's kind of the launching off point. And I also think that, you know, there's ways that we can suggest suggest things in, you know, ways that are not threatening. Um, so like, for example, like, I wonder if we used, uh, photos of teenagers instead of little kids, like, I wonder if he would respond better to this book. 
right? Like not yeah. being like, Hey, don't use those kids. He's an adult <laughs> or he's about to be an adult. He's a young adult. Right. Right. Uh, Using so, those coaching strategies, like with your staff. Right. Yes. yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and just being like, Hmm, I wonder, or I noticed, <laughs> um, I think that can be, that can go a long way too. Oh yeah. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about activities of daily living. Is this something that like you integrate into what you're working on? Like, I know this is like a definitely an approach, um, you know, when we're thinking about older students Mm -hmm. and also, you know, adults, um, how do you incorporate that into what you're doing and what you're teaching and, um, any strategies that you have for that? Yeah. So I think when I think about um, those activities of daily living, I think that we want to make sure that they are as meaningful to the person as possible. Um, you know, thinking about um, things like self-determination, like what what is it that I want to do with my own life? What is my future going to look like? Um, is, it, is it that I want to have a job working with animals? Like, okay, what can we do on our end as far as educators it, while they're in the school system, as far as setting up those sorts of opportunities for our students, whether it be job skills training or shadowing or, you know, kind of looking into the skill sets that you might need to have a particular job and trying to, you know, facilitate those as much as possible. You know, we have uh, like some things in our school that we have, and I think that a lot of schools do have things like this, but we've got like a coffee shop that students can work at and they can practice, you know, all sorts of functional skills when they're there with job coaches. I find myself more often than not in that sort of a setting um, where a student is working on those sorts of vocational skills or other activities of daily living and more doing um, some consultation and coaching with the coaches <laughs> um, because there's things that come up when students are in those settings that maybe don't come up in the classroom. Like one thing that I, that comes to mind a lot is, um, you know, just making sure that the student is able to access their communication system when they're working in a different setting or when they're doing an activity of daily living, because a lot of times they're using both of their hands. Mm-hmm. So if you've got a student who, um, you know, maybe they have a strap on their device, but maybe it's getting in the way of the coffee or something like that, like, okay, maybe we need to look at like a mount and just having a mount or a slant board or something that is on a table where they can go over and access it. Or maybe, you know, we're just looking at different like sorts of mounting systems and straps and things to make sure that they can access their system as much as possible. Um, another big thing is, um, you know, I do use uh, programmed messages, pre-programmed messages for a lot of those situations, because you're saying the same things over and over again, right? Like, what would you like to drink? Would you like hazelnut or vanilla or chocolate or, you know, or whatever. Um, and so we will use those, um, those kind of pre-stored phrases in those situations. And I really try to involve the students in that as much as possible. So maybe they want to take a picture and use that as the icon for whatever that, you know, pre-stored message is. And so we'll go ahead and do that. Um, Maybe they want it to say a certain thing. So we'll co-construct it to make sure that it says what they want it to say. Um, but those I think are important in those situations where that speed is really key, where we want to make sure that they're, you know, communicating as quickly as possible. And it's something that they're saying, um, you know, maybe repetitively. Yeah, no, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think there's always kind of this back and forth we go through when we're thinking about like, what do we want to be generative versus what do we want as sort of like a mm-hmm. pre-stored phrase. And I think that whenever there's a social context in which we need like really rate enhancement, um, we really need to rely on some of those pre-stored phrases and messages because they can just make an interaction so much faster. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously we're also building generative language and the ability to formulate and, you know, depending on where a student is at, um, I, I, I tend to use like, you know, obviously for social situations where it needs to be fast, I use pre-stored messages for like a lot of my students. Um, but I feel like if they're, if we're still working on generative language, I'm really trying to build that out too. So it's kind of just like, back and forth, like, oh, like, wouldn't it be nice if we could just do tons of pre-stored messages? But then I'm like, we're not really building the language and the formulation. So it's just this, like, I don't know, back and forth. And I'm always like up against, I feel like. Right. And sometimes I think that those are just good conversations to have too. Like if I have, you know, if a job coach comes to me and says like, Hey, can we, you know, people are always asking them like, you know, um, what did he do over the weekend? Can we add just like a pre-stored message for, I stayed at home. And I'm like, well, no, we can't do that because we don't know that he stayed at home every weekend. Like, no, let's, that's, that's something that we need to be working on, you know, 
snug. We need to be working on his ability or her ability to, you know, generate a message. Um, and we're not going to use a pre-stored message in that situation. And sometimes those are just, you know, um, it makes sense once we say it. It's like, oh yeah, that makes sense. I wouldn't want to do that. Um, just keeping those kind of lines of communication open, I think, are really helpful. And I've had a lot of really good feedback from like job coaches. They find it very, very, you know, helpful if I can come in and talk to them about, you know, what communication can look like in a specific setting and how we can help support an AAC user um, to be as independent in those interactions as possible. No, I love that. And I think that. It's, it sounds like you have a really good relationship with those coaches. And I think that that's awesome yeah. that they're super open and like they value your input. Um, because obviously like we have the ability to help people interact with AAC users. And it sounds like there's a lot of teaching involved with the coaching, um, the vocational coaching. So, um, it's just nice that you have that rapport. And I think that's so great that they're able to learn about AAC because I'm sure that they have lots of students that can benefit from yeah. you know, just understanding how to engage with an AAC user in general. Mm -hmm. And that's, what's so nice. You know, it's so nice. Um, just the opportunities that we can, it, when we can give our students those opportunities to work in these different vocational settings, you know, we're thinking about that. We're thinking about all of these different people who maybe have never seen an AAC device and now they're getting, you know, they're getting to learn from our students. Um, so it's, it's very cool. Love it. Okay. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about a little bit about the classroom. How are you integrating into what is happening in the classrooms in the, with the students that you work with? Yeah, I love, I love, love, love integrating the curriculum into my therapy. Um, I think, you know, as SLPs, we can just do so much with, um, pulling whatever it is that, you know, the classrooms are working on into our therapy and pushing into the classroom, um, providing unique sorts of contributions to what is already happening within the classroom. Um, I think that we can do so much with vocabulary instruction, you know, like they, I use the descriptive teaching model from Gail Van Tatenhove all the time when there's these content specific words that, you know, they might be working on for a month and then it's over um, where, you know, I mean, and even myself, you know, I used to program those words into communication devices <laughs> until yeah. I learned better, you know, and now I don't. Um, but I think that um, that's, that can be a learning curve for, you know, a lot of people. And so I can even just helping like, okay, what's, what's one word that you're working on? You're working on pollution. Okay. Well, let's talk about that. Like what words could we say? We could say that it's dirty. We could say that it makes you sick. We could say that it's, it's bad. So mm -hmm. thinking just kind of brainstorming with teachers of different ways that they could use descriptive teaching in their classroom. Mm -hmm. Um, and then obviously, you know, we can do so much with literacy instruction and I feel like there's just such this, you know, um, push, I guess in recent months, you know, the year, I think when comprehensive literacy for all came out, I think it was just, I think it's really changed things. I think it's changed the game. And I think that so many more people are invested in the conversation about how we can, um, you know, help our students, how as speech pathologists, we can help our students, um, be literate, be able to read and write. So, and there's so much you can do with that. You know, there's so much that you can do with things like shared reading and predictable chart writing and word study and all of those different things. And like working alongside your classroom teachers to kind of support that. So that has been, that's been so cool to be able to do that. Um, but even like extension activities, there's so much that you can do. Like you could do research projects. I love doing science experiments. It's like my favorite thing. I love doing science experiments. And those are so fun for kids who are um, still more emergent because it's like, it's this big thing that's happening. It's like, whoa, wow, that's so cool. Like what happened? There's so much language that you can embed and things like that. Mm -hmm. And I feel like you can find science experiments that can parallel almost anything that's being done in the classroom. Um, so yeah, just tons, tons of different things that you can do in the classroom to kind of help support teachers and students. I have a question. Have yeah. you ever gotten pushback? I'm thinking pushback for two things. One, the idea of descriptive teaching, because I feel like sometimes my experience has been it's like, well, no, like we, of course, like this is the vocabulary for this unit. So like, that's what we're teaching. Mm -hmm. um, have you ever had any pushback for this idea of descriptive teaching? It's interesting. I have not had pushback. I feel like a lot of people, they totally buy into it. Have you had pushback? I have. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I feel like I'm like explaining it away. Hopefully that resonates, but I think that just like, 
I think that part of it is like we're asking teachers and paraprofessionals to just like think in a different way, which feels mm-hmm. like one, maybe like extra work Two, mm-hmm. like, uh, like I don't usually do this and like, I don't want to do it. Um, so I think there's that element. Um, but yeah, I mean, I have had some pushback both with that and just in general, I think it's hard to get you know, educators sometimes on board with some of the strategies and using the system and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because I think they're overwhelmed and they have a lot going on. And like, totally, what we're asking of them is like one like extra layer of work. Um, so just curious, like if you've had, you know, pushback in general, integrating into the classroom or like, uh, any situations where you're like, ah, like I finally learned how to like work better within a classroom and really push for um, like more integrative model. Cause I think also what happens is teachers are just like, yep, like you it's speech time. And like you take my students and you know, that's mm-hmm. that. Um, so are you there? Have you ever had that experience? And if so, like, how have you kind of navigated that? Yeah. When I, when, I don't know, it's hard to say when I'm thinking about like times in which I've experienced pushback. Um, I think that the time that I guess I'm thinking of in my head, um, and this has happened on more than one occasion, is if I'm making a recommendation for AAC for a student who does have verbal speech, that one is a big one. Um, and that one is hard. It's hard to explain and it's hard to get people to really um, get, you know, grasp that. Um I think I've had a lot of success. If it's a student who has a lot of intelligibility issues, I've had a lot of success using, um, oh, it's the index of augmented speech. It's the, it's called IASCC is what it's called. Um, but it's, it's an index where you can look at single words. I think it was actually designed for younger students, but you're looking at intelligibility of single words and you're having a familiar listener listen to recording and record what they can, you know, tell or or what they can decipher. Mm -hmm. And then you're giving them a context clue. So if the word is apple and I had a, a recording of a student saying apple, then I might give them a context clue the second time around and say, okay, This is something that you eat and have them listen to the recording again to see if they can understand it. Mm -hmm. That has helped. That has helped if teachers say, well, I can understand everything that he says. There's no, we don't need to do this. I'm like, okay, let's, let's do this and let's see, (laughs) let's see if you can understand. And then if we come back and it's like, oh, we're 20% intelligible without context at the single word level, then it's like, oh, then it makes a little bit more sense where it's like, okay, yeah, I can see the need that, you know, they might need to use AAC. So that's been, that's been a helpful tool. Um, but yeah, those, those situations are tough. Yeah. It sounds like sometimes you need like the cold, hard data, like the numbers. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like, these are the numbers. Like you think you can understand, like put you to the test. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other thing I've had success with, and it's so funny you're talking about this, Ashley, cause I literally right before this recording got like a slew of text messages from one of my clients being like, oh my gosh, like the school district is like going against the recommendation. They're saying they don't see the need for AAC cause he has verbal speech and you know, you know, all the things. Yeah. And one thing that has been so helpful for me in at least, you know, communicating to parents, um, but if also, you know, educators and SLPs, which is all of the episodes we've had on part-time AAC users sharing their story. Um, So Alyssa Hillary Zisk, they came Mm -hmm. on the podcast and really blew my mind as far as their experience with using AAC part-time. We also have another episode. um, I don't know if it'll air before this or after this, but uh, Brittany Dubay is another uh, part-time AAC user. And so I feel like when we have those experiences of uh, people saying, yes, sometimes I actually use AAC and sometimes I have verbal speech. um, I just think it shows that sometimes we need a backup system for uh, communicating. And I you know, there's lots of other reasons why I think it's beneficial, but I feel like that can really like really resonates with especially parents. Cause they're like, mm-hmm. wow, like I'm pushing so hard. Um, uh, but maybe they need this tool to communicate in a way that's more comfortable for them. That's such a good point. I'm so glad you brought that up because there's so many reasons that someone might be a part-time AAC user. And I think that might be maybe what's hard for people to kind of grasp. It might be intelligibility issues. It might not. It might just be that I am a part-time AAC user and that's totally okay. Um, Yeah, I think... um, 
that that is, it's been, it's been such a challenge, but it's so, that's so nice that they can just come and listen to these podcast episodes and hear, hear directly. Yes. From, um, from AAC users about the importance of that. Yeah, I know. The podcast has been like so invaluable to my practice because I'm just like, oh, hey, here's an episode you should listen to. <laughs> and it's go, just like super helpful. <laughs> go reference episode 67. Exactly. <laughs> um, actually, I wish I knew all the episode numbers by heart because I'd be like, hmm, in episode 112, <laughs> <who> <laughs> reference this. I by no means know any of the episode numbers. Um, I can barely remember the episodes because I feel like we've had so many at this point. Yeah. Um, but it's super helpful as a resource. Um, and yes, I mean, it's one of the biggest challenges is trying to figure out like how to convince, um, some, some people that just because a student has verbal speech sometimes doesn't mean that they have it all the time. And it also Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that they'd have more language if we gave them a tool, um, to use to augment education. So, um, yeah, it's a struggle. That's a struggle for, I think for all of us, probably everyone who's listening, like, yes, I had that struggle too. Totally. (laughs) Okay. How can people get in touch with you, Ashley? I'm super excited that you were able to come on today. I would love to share. I know you're on social media, so tell people how they can get in touch. Yeah, I'm primarily on Instagram. Um, I am at mrs.laracy. Um, but yeah, come and, you know, I'm super responsive to messages. Um, I love to connect. I love to share ideas. So yeah, any um, anytime you just come on over. I have seen the ideas that you share and I think you are awesome. I love that you have a focus with older students because again, I think it's an area where people are like scrambling, even myself and like my clinicians. I'm like, okay, like now what do we do? Like, ah, like I'm not really sure because I do a lot of work with pediatrics. And Mm -hmm. so, um, you know, I do have some older students and young adults on my caseload. Um, And so it's just nice to get fresh ideas and um, you keep it fun. You keep it fun on your Instagram. And so I I do, I try. I definitely would encourage everybody to go follow Ashley. Um, She has tons of great therapy ideas and you're constantly sharing really great information. So definitely follow her and link will definitely be in the show notes. Ashley, thank you so much for coming on. It was such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. So for Talking With Tech, I'm Rachel Madel joined by Ashley Laracy. Thank you guys so much for listening and we'll talk to you guys next week.